morning. My name is Erin McFadden, and I'm the Director of Children's Ministries here, and also a member of the South Charlotte Community Group. And today's scripture reading is from Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O oh God, out of all his troubles. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Again, I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And as we continue in our Grace Phil sermon series, um, we looked last week at what it meant to be changed by faith. And then the proper place of the fruit of the Spirit in the life of children of God. Today is, again, a continuation of sorts as we look at living in the place between saint and sinner, between fallen and risen, between our growing to understand God's holiness and our brokenness. And one of the images many of you um, might have encountered in our new members book and if you have gone through some of the Sonship or, or World Harvest um, discipleship materials, you have come across what was up here for a minute. I know they're trying to fix the, the thing. Um, this image of the growing cross of Christ. We're the cross, right? What, what Jesus did to bridge 
The relationship between us and God grows in its power, right? Grows in its place in our lives as those who are Christians grow over time. That as we grow, our expressed, if you will, our lived out need for Jesus grows. Where as you grow, you recognize you need more cross. You need more mercy, more grace as a Christian grows more and more in love with and closer to God. As they realize more and more how messed up they are. At the same time, how wanted and loved and secured they are by an infinitely holy and loving God. But, but those two things, right? How broken we are in our flesh and in our bodies and our actions and our thoughts. And on the other side, how accepted and loved and how holy God is. Those two things don't always play well together in our lives. And when we feel that contrast, right, between a holy God and, and our brokenness as we grow, and it, it seems like the more we learn about ourselves, the, the more we see we just can't get there, the more we see how holy and high God is and how desperate we are, it is easy to turn to what I would describe as spiritual sabotage. As the Sonship Workbook, if you look at it, says, it says that we devise strategies, now these sound familiar now, like blame shifting, right? Like boasting, excuse making for our issues, thinking of ourselves, I do this a lot, as a special case, right? God ain't never dealt with anybody like me. I'm different. It doesn't apply to me in the same way. He doesn't understand my story, right? rationalizing, oh, I'm great at that, and lying to justify ourselves before God and other people. Like our Psalms today says, we do whatever we can to cover our shame, to cover our disappointment. Christianity, as you walk, can be a very disappointing, right, walk, right? You experience it in very profound ways. I think it would be a misnomer. I think it's wrong for us as believers to go out and say, you know, we, we always got the victory feeling, right? We got the victory, right? Because what Jesus did, but it doesn't always feel that way. And we don't always live that way. And we don't always experience it on this side of glory. But we try to cover our shame. We try to cover our, the judgment we feel we'll face if our friends really discover who we are. We want to cover and, and, and hide our criticism. We want to cover rejection and for our fear of rejection by God. And it's almost like it, it, we're holding up all the time. Like Christianity is this pressure in this power you have to kind of exert in yourself to hold up a collapsing ceiling of failed expectations that you had for God, yourself, and others. And we're welcoming people to that kind of Christianity, right? Come on in. Hold up the ceiling of holiness, right? Hold your life together because that's what it's about. We all live here. 
And we all have sought other ways to deal with our shame and failure and sin. Because, you know, we all said, we're going to follow Jesus. We're going to do great. And then we hit a road bump. And many of us are performing and lying, straight lying, to cover up some real mess, to look good. Well, cruciform living, right? What's that mean? Life-shaped and impressed, right? Being shaped, almost like a cookie cutter, right? Being shaped by the cross of Jesus, by, by what he did on the cross, frees us from being fake, frees us from being basically liars and, and hypocrites who end up missing out on the benefits and blessings of being God's children. We see cruciform living, right? Um, living in the light of the cross in three way, ray, ways from our Psalm, Psalm 25 today. Cruciform living is firstly, right? First, living in the trustworthiness of God. Living in, let me throw this word, and by the trustworthiness of God. Secondly, living in and by the way of God. And finally, living in the mission of God. Trustworthiness, the way, and the mission, right? You know what hurts, uh, what hurt me and hurts me more than anything about my sons, my boys, and their mistakes and troubles as their father? Not the mistakes and not the trouble. Because mistakes gonna happen, right? Teenagers, trouble is going to happen. Here's what would hurt me worse. If they are mistaken and troubled in bringing their stuff to me. If they feel like they have to hide, right? Or even harm or hurt themselves to try to keep away and, and, and not hurt, hurt my feelings or, or they hurt or harm themselves um, to try to fix it on their own, making it worse because they might be afraid or shame or don't trust their own father. So often in our spiritual lives, when we get into and face or find trouble and mistakes within ourselves, and I'm here to tell you, you're going to find it. You're going to come up on stuff just by living here, right? And, and the first thing that goes is, is the first thing that cruciform living offers us, the trustworthiness of God. Look at what the psalmist says here in verse 1 and 2 again. He says, D David says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let, me, let not my enemies exult over me. And then look what he says in verse 15. He says here, my eyes are ever, where? Towards the Lord. Why? He will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me, Lord, and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. 
I don't know whether this is clear to you as it is to me when I read this, but the psalmist who believed to be King David wrote this psalm written some 3,000 plus years ago is in some real turmoil. He is in the straits, right? He, he is, in his own words, in distress. He is caught in the net. He is hated. He is under attack. He is exposed. He's alone. He's troubled. He's sinful. And he is dealing with some potentially shameful stuff. Things are so bad within and without, or, or, or he has made things so bad with his actions, he is so broken up right now that he can't trust himself in his own thinking and his own actions. And so he says and cries out and sings and shouts out as verse 1 says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, right? And at the end of verse 20, he says, what? Lord, guard my soul and deliver me. This psalm is a cry for help of someone who has come to a point, who has come to understand and accept that the Lord is his only refuge and only help. And thus the beginning of the cruciform life, right? What it means to, 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 to let your flesh be crucified. You know, we, we use these words in, in Christianity. What does it really mean, right? What, what does, I'm living, I'm bearing my cross. I'm, I'm trusting in the cross of Christ. I'm, like the song, we're nailing our glory to the cross. It means, Lord, the, 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 the belief, right? It's the experience. It's the knowing and recognize I ain't got nothing and nobody else to entrust my broken heart and life and situation to but the Lord. I'm all out of options here. I am in so many pieces, so exposed, so embarrassed, so incapable of things not getting better. I need the Lord, my God, as he says in verse 1, as he says between verse 1 and 2. And, and, and it is not primarily my circumstances. It is not my behavior. Look what he says in verse 1, right? Not my enemies. I need to entrust with the Lord. Those things are important. But I lift up my soul to you. The problem he's saying is with me. The problem is within me. It is my inability to live through this on my own, to, to outrun this spiritually, to outwork this, to, to outperform this. Like last time, I, I was able to escape it. I can't do it now. I lift up my soul to you because in an attempt to avoid shame, I will end up living, how does verse 3 put it? At the end, wantonly treacherous. That's why he says, I give you my soul. Look, y'all, circumstances going to come. They're beyond your control, right? Issues are going to come. Things are going to come, let me go ahead and say it, that you can't handle, right? It's going to be the perfect thing. The perfect storm is coming, and it will destroy your ship, right? It's going to destroy your life. It's going to be in a million pieces, and you're going to be sitting there thinking, what am I doing? What happened? I didn't expect this. I wasn't ready for this. That's why the prayer here is not necessarily, Lord, change the circumstances. 
right? Now, we do pray circumstantial prayers. That makes sense. But, but the, 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 the cruciform prayer, the prayer that looks to the Lord to bridge the gap between my suffering and, 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 and his perfection, right, is about Lord. Help my heart to respond well and not be ashamed, right? Not be contemned in the middle of this mess. Mess is coming. It's part of living. But wantonly treacherous means to cover up, right? All those who try to hide the scripture saying their brokenness from God, who try to hold on to it and deal with it and, and try to handle it. And the word wantonly, well, that word wantonly, right? No, it's not a menu item, right? <laughs> on some new hip restaurant, right? It, it would probably sell if we had wantonly treacherous, right? No. <laughs> it means to rig it to make it not so bad, to play it. How do my dra British dramas I like to watch say? To sport it, right? The psalm is saying, it, when you begin to sport it, or rig it, or play it, right? To, to try to maneuver it, to manipulate it, right? It is saying, ironically, in your trying to... To, to, to shape it and shift it, you won't avoid the shame you're trying to avoid. You're actually going to end up in the shame you're trying to escape. So counterintuitive. Man, I'm about to face some real mess. Let me expose myself, right? People don't do that. But when we cover up, it's going to make it worse. The scripture is saying, cruciform life from what Jesus did on the cross says, like the psalmist here, here I am without one plea, without one hope, as bad as I can see myself, not hiding it, not covering it up, not sporting it, just here. Take not just the problems and consequences and bad happenings around me and in my life, whether finances or relationships or my job situation or my marriage or my kids, but here, take me on, Lord. Take my mistakes, my brokenness. Take my hurt. Take it away. Take it. And he has good reason for trust, doesn't he? Look at verses 6 and 7. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Right? Isn't it interesting? Um, and I just saw this here. Like how so the, the presentation of, of faith. Um, and I understand that Hebrew word zakar, remember. Um, it, it's, it's very prevalent in the Old Testament where God calls his people zakar. Remember. Like don't forget. Right? But look at what the psalmist is asking. It isn't God asking him to remember, right? Because probably in his trouble, he's forgotten, right? So he's saying, you know, in a situation where it's hard for me to remember how good you are, let me tell you, when you get in some trouble, it is hard to think. And you have people, hey, God's good. Get out of my face, right? <laughs> I don't know that. I can't remember that. 
I can't, you know, you get in enough situations or you see how evil you are or you get caught up in some relationship you ain't supposed to be in and some behavior you ain't supposed to be in and the situation, like, and then you, you don't remember how God, good God is. You forgot. So look what he says. He says, Lord, for my mistakes, for my forgetting, for my not knowing how good you are, right? For me forgetting how youthful mistakes can come up in my life, because I always forget, I always think I'm ready to roll without you. Lord, my trust is that you remember. By asking the Lord to remember, remember not. The psalmist is asking the Lord, don't act according to what I have failed to do or my mistakes, or my inability. Like, don't judge me, Lord, according to, to, to what I deserve. Imagine that, Lord, please. Don't give me what I deserve, right? T to love you and others, right? In my inability to love you and others, but according to what? Your mercy and your steadfast love. And when he talks about the sins of my youth, I'm gonna take a little bit of time in this one. It, it, it means things that have never been dealt with. You know, I'm like a lot of y'all. I got a lot of youthful sins that I've been able to cover up and live with for a long time. You know why? Because I'm good. I'm gifted. I'm talented. I even became a pastor. That means you can put a lot of stuff in storage. Right, you can wrap it up in a nice package. Right, you can even put a frame on it, hang it up, live with it. Right, so so this may be youthful things in the past, stuff that he hasn't dealt with since he was young in the faith. Right, coming now, listen to this. Or here, here's what's hard: the same stuff. That that's a key word. The same stuff since he was young in the faith, coming up in his life as immaturity. Right? That stuff, y'all, in him, like in us, the kind of stuff we say this, you know, that we should have learned from that already, right? Or recovered from. And, and trust me, you don't have to tell yourself that. Just be married for some years, right? You, you don't even have to say it to yourself, right? Everybody who's married has had their spouse say, you still doing the same thing? Right? We've been to counseling. We've been to this. This person told you. That person told you. You saw it in the Bible, man. You have a master of divinity and you dealing the same stuff. <laughs> Went to see a movie with my brothers yesterday. Immediately, we're 16 and 17 again. Same stuff. Ain't nothing changed. We in the movie went to go see Bad Boys. That's one of our favorite movies. Series. You know, I don't understand why I won, won an Oscar. Come on. Everybody likes some fast cars driving, explosions, and stupid comedy, right? But we're in there talking at the, the screen, talking out loud, laughing, not caring who else is in the theater. Don't you know any better? Y'all in your 40s. Come on, black man, black people at the movie theater. Y'all ain't learned yet. Them tickets cost $16, black folk. Stop talking.
walking at the theater, laughing, making jokes. You know what this reminds me of? Like boys in the hood, ah, look at you, right? That look like you, woo, man, that's dumb. That'll never happen, why? This stuff you should have already overcome. That we say we too old to be doing the same stupid stuff. You've been walking with the Lord or a Christian too long for someone. You should know better. You, right? Hate to call you out, brothers. The elders, y'all should know better with some of the stuff we struggling with, right? The pastor, the women shepherds, the community group leaders, the fathers, the mothers, the older brothers, the mentor, some of you discipler leader types. You who teach this stuff to those new in the faith are still struggling with some of the same kind of stuff. And subsequently, the stuff that we tend to cover up the most, right? These are the things we hide the most. These are the things that will bring us the greatest shame before others because of our position and how we have positioned ourselves as the lead Christian or the Christian or the one who brought somebody to faith or one who's leading somebody else or before our friends. The stuff we kind of excuse ourselves for to get past feeling so bad and we hide and we cover up and we bury it. Because like the psalmist describes here in verse 5 and 21 says, as we're waiting, y'all, you know what it's like being a believer? And we just, you know, we're going to be kind of open and raw about Christianity because the show is over. The sham is over, y'all. Being a Christian sometimes is about waiting. Y'all hear that? Waiting. Not charging ahead. I'm good, you know, I got the word, I get it, I understand it, I'm going to go be discipled. And when I get these words right, scriptures right, wow, I'll be great. No, sometimes you got it right, you understand the theology, you understand the scripture, you're doing all the discipleship, you come into church every day, and you know what you're doing? You're waiting for Jesus to change you. But here's the problem, when you've been walking with the Lord, I'm going to deal with our older Christians today, or the ones who consider themselves leaders of some sort, right? As verse 5 and 21 says, as we are waiting for the Lord, it is easy to get tired in the struggle. You know how many times I'm tired? I'm tired. I see things in my life. I see me doing things and desiring things and looking at things and, and doing, like I shouldn't be doing. I'm too old for that. I've been praying and even stuff. I've been praying for God to change in me for years. Y'all are there. Lord, please change this. Please take this out of my life. Please, I don't want to like that kind of dude. Too late. Here he come. Oh, Lord. Right? Don't, you know, Lord, I, I should know better than to text this person back. Right? I, I, I should know better than to watch this on TV. I should know better than to be alone with my laptop with nobody home for three hours. Come on. Get tired of waiting for change. And the tiredness is because of the way we're handling our brokenness. 
Remember holding up the ceiling? And I found some ways, and it was interesting, in our sonship discipleship material, you can read it for yourself if you got it, but this is what they say. As I grow older in being a believer, my capacity for self-righteousness grows too. I learn more, so I make fewer mistakes. I feel I have less, therefore I feel like I have less to learn from other Christians. So I become unteachable, unreachable, and untouchable. Y'all seen that? I have in the mirror, right? My capacity for judging others grows because I see the faults of others more quickly. While I may see my own sins sooner, I also see the sins of others sooner. I become harsher and harsher. I have a greater ability to cover up my sins. As I grow, I learn more. Hear this about the extensiveness, characteristics, and manifestations of sin. I am therefore, as you grow right in the faith, in a better position to hide my sins. I learn to cover up things much better than the young Christian. My resistance to repentance may grow. I have more to lose. Here's the deal. In appearance and control, right? The, the, the higher you rise, whether in an office in the church or, or leading somebody or, you know, they, they want to raise you up to be a leader or whatever, guess what? All of a sudden, you have more to lose in appearance and control. And so the more I grow, the more I have to lose, right? And so the more you want to cover, I have more success. So I begin believing that perhaps I've had something to do with it all after all, right? I have more of Christ, so I am more of a blessing to others. Deep down, I start to think that something intrinsic to me produced my success. I have more opportunities to live out the sinful nature. I'm wiser, so it becomes easier to do things on my own without faith, without prayer, and definitely without the Holy Spirit. I grew in biblical knowledge. Here's one. I've become more right in my knowledge. It's become easier to be self-righteous. I'm less likely, therefore, to listen I grow in experience. I've learned about many of the bad consequences of sin. I, 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 so the, the, because I understand more about the consequences of sin, I will avoid revealing my sin because I can't stand the consequences. I developed an inability to listen and a complete ignorance of that inability. We call that becoming the grumpy old whoever, right? A study on pastoral burnout and why so many pastors are so broken and burned out and fallen out. I think I know. Because we have become wantonly treacherous with our stuff. And have been called to grow up, right? You're the elders to be perfect, to, to have, and, and this is not anybody doing this, but when righteousness is projected on people in leadership, they begin over time to believe the press. And then here comes the sins of youth. And you hiding and overcompensating with performance, you're bound to fail. And bound to fall. Not just out of your position, but lose grasp of Jesus' love for you. 
and not only in pastoral ministry. And I know we got some college kids in here, college students, and, and we have a church filled with people who've been in college ministry. Let me tell you, when I was in college, I was a leader in my ministry. I was good. And I expected when I graduated, didn't y'all who were in campus ministries and stuff, some of y'all leaders, when you graduated, it would be like that in your real, like in life after college. It don't work like that. Well, you know, we were real fervent in college. I remember we used to stay up till two in the morning praying, hallelujah, right? And, and witnessing. And I used to walk around with tracks in my pocket, right? Hey, you want to come to faith? Yes, we were holy. I had a Jesus hat walking around. Leading people, discipling people, taking through all the books and all. When I left and I was going to cut with the seminary, I was going to be a campus minister. Remember that? Because I thought I did pretty good at college. My faith was on fire, right? Then that adult life hit. Uh-oh, collapse. And let me tell you what you're tempted to do. Hide, cover, outperform. Try to recreate what you had in college. It ain't here. Man, when you were single and in college, you're just running around on fire for Jesus. Then you get married, you get kids, you get a mortgage. What? Then you find out how evil you really are, right? <laughs> and it might be why David says and begs, let me move on, especially for those of us who have been walking with the Lord a while and waiting for the change to come in us and in moral leadership positions for God to do what in verses 20 and 21? He says, oh, go, oh guard my soul, right? There is hope for us older Christians who, who kind of self-righteous and can't listen, right? And it says, oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in, here, in, in you. Now look at verse 21. May integrity and right uprightness preserve me for I wait on you. Preserve me. It's been a long walk with Jesus. And I failed more than I think I've succeeded. I'm talking about me. Does that make me a bad Christian? Yes. But it makes him a better Lord. There's a song by Keith Green. That's the second week of Keith Green. If y'all ain't ever heard Keith Green, if y'all want to put some music on and cry, put some Keith Green on. Okay. No, it's not cool sounding. No, <laughs> Keith Green is not cool sounding. It's guitar music, right? It's, it's on the border like folk is piano. Yeah, yeah, piano, yes. <laughs> it is not Kanye West. It's good. He has a song called Grace by Which I Stand says this, Lord, the feelings are not the same. I guess I'm older. I guess I've changed. It's for you young people. And how I wish it had been explained that as you're growing, you must remember that nothing lasts. 
except the grace of God by which I stand in Jesus. I know that I would surely fall away except for grace by which I'm saved. Lord, hear this. I remember that special way. I vowed to serve you (laughs) when I was brand new. But like Peter, I can't even watch and pray. One hour with you. And I bet I could deny you too. But nothing lasts except the grace of God by which I stand in Jesus. I'm sure that my whole life would waste away except for grace by which I'm saved. The cruciform life as we see in this song and the psalm is freeing us to live and declare, I don't have to hide it or fix my moral spiritual incompetence. I can trust in the grace of God. The cross of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the fix and whole relationship between God and sinners to be who are his children is from that old steadfast love that'll never let us go. Even when we're old and grumpy. But it's not always easy for us to connect with us or change us because that's a lot of knowledge. You got it. But look at verse 16 and 17 says this, turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. The result of our brokenness and shame without God's forgiveness and kindness is a heart that is enlarged with trouble and fear and crowded with trouble, weighted with trouble, with distress. And I would prefer to translate the word distress there as constrained that you're tight, right? You're closed up. It's hard for God's grace to get in. And so many of us are there. We are so much in trouble, right? That our hearts can't hear the Lord. Our hearts are heavy and clogged up with scar tissue and can't find a way to change, to be transformed. And with anyone with a bad heart, we stop running. We stop moving. We make excuses for our sin and sadness. We pretend our hearts are not really in our faith. We, we don't know whether we believe and love God or others at the deepest level. And as Galatians 17 says, we are doing what we have to, to get by, but we are not truly experiencing the grace of God the way we really want and need to. Look at what the psalmist says in in verse four and five. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Lead me in truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I will wait all the day long. Right? This is for some of us, again, older Christians. It's time to go back, right? It's time to continue waiting this long walk. And then in verse 8, it says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs. This is about instruction and and the way, right? Instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies I'm gonna keep going for your name's sake O Lord pardon my guilt for it is great who is the man who fears the Lord him who him will he instruct in the way that he should choose his soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant there's a lot there 
let me say this. The psalm brings, the psalm says, he brings me out of the constraints of an enlarged heart. And the first verse talks about lifting up my soul. Here's the point. The cruciform life is living in the way, in ways of God. Right? In, other, in other words, God's power and love, like it, 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 it would find a way into you, within to change you and have its way with you. That the truth, as it says, of who he is and what he has done would not just inform your life mentally or, or just be A, B, C, D steps, right? Be all up in your head, but as it enters your soul, it would transform you. I love the way he puts it in verse four, that it would make us to know his ways. And that could go two ways, make us to know it or make us those who would know it. That God's word, right? The message of the gospel, that he remembers his mercy and love and goodness for us, that it would find and will force and overpower its way into our heart that is filled and blocked with all kinds of junk and condemnation and, 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 and blockage. That, that God would find his way as we hear his word, right? That he would use the word by the Holy Spirit, that he would work in us and work it into us so that we would be changed by it. Fred Hammond, different than Keith Green, has a song called, I Want to Know Your Ways. And it says this, I want to know your ways so I can please you each and every day. If I found favor in your sight, teach me your ways, your ways. I boast not in myself or the things I've learned, Lord. You know it's true, but I seek after one thing, to know your ways. Then I will know you. Know you. Not know about you. Know you. But this is not knowing and knowledge for the IB or honors class Christians. You see what we read here? This is not for those who, you know, know all the scripture real well, even though the ways of God are found in the scripture, right? But this isn't about being theologically the, the man or the woman. And, and, lots, and there's lots of Bible scholars in here. Or being all smart, right, will not free your heart. And, and that's not cruciform living. And some of you are the athletes of the faith. I mean, you are awesome. You're winning on the field, out in the world. You fill the trophy case and wear the letterman's jacket for God. But God is not impressed with religious and moral and missional prowess and performance. No, God's ways, if we look at the scripture, are taught, instructed, and received by the remedial, by the regular students, those regularly needy of tutoring, right? Look, look at verse eight again. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs who? Sinners in the way. He leads who? The humble in what is right and teaches who? 
The humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimony. Do you see who qualifies as someone who would actually get the word, hear it preached, hear it taught, go to Bible study, go to community group, and actually have it change their lives to the point where the cross is the thing holding them in their relationship with the Lord? Do you see what kind of people we're talking about? Sinners! Humble! And, and trust me, when this psalm says humble, look, back then, you, humble meant you, everything in your life has fallen apart. You ain't got no privileges to save you. Ain't no lifelines, ain't no trust account. There ain't nothing. Trust fund, sorry. There's nothing. You're humbled, right? So here's the thing. And it's just, again, another twisted reality about Christianity, right? The, the, the God makes his way in the hearts. We're going to talk about humility next week. In his way, in his hearts of those who've been humiliated. And often by their personal attempts at righteousness. That's when the word makes sense. Our hearts are enlarged with our own pride with our own glory, with our own sense of spiritual privilege. And what the psalmist says, saying, I can't even trust you, Lord. I can't really look to your sacrifice and your covenant as the thing holding me because my heart is so pumped full of either condemnation because I'm really bad and I'm afraid and I'm afraid of being ashamed because I'm so evil or I think I've done such a good job handling my brokenness. Make me to know your ways. Make me, because I won't on my own. I need the Holy Spirit to come. Y'all, look, I, this stuff I'm telling y'all, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, oh, my Lord, make me to know it. I've read it, right? I've read it a few translations, right? I've looked at all the stuff behind it, all the commentaries, and after all of that, Make me to know what I just studied. Because my heart ain't there. You ever heard of coronary angioplasty? I kind of knew what it was and then I looked it up online. I knew it was angio something. And I knew what it was sort of. It's a medical procedure in which a balloon is used to open up a blockage in a coronary, right? Which is a heart artery. I'm right, Larry? I'm right? Okay, good. Doctor, Canty back there. I'm only a couple courses away from being like you. I mean, I, you know how much I read, read WebMD? I ain't got long. I mean, I'm pretty good. Call me, y'all. We'll look it up together. All right. I can hit a knee with a thing. You know, whatever. But what it means is this blockage in the coronary heart artery narrowed by plaque buildup in the inner walls of the artery. And this procedure is like a balloon opening up to improve blood flow to the heart. The Holy Spirit uses the cross like a spiritual coronary angioplasty. And in its power, it blows in with divine force 
to open the pride and fear and shame that's hardened like plaque in your heart so that you can hear the gospel. Because the crucifying form's life is about God's mission, his coming in you, which is our last point here. Look, look again at verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, that soul, that heart again, a good heart, right? Open by and to the grace of God, right? Shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. That's an important verse there. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. You know what the cross of Jesus, what the psalmist is teaching, the covenant of God between his people shows us that the mission of God has always been, y'all ready? Eternal friendship with the Lord. Now don't use y'all little friends, Facebook friends thinking. This word says friendship. Of course, I had to look it up. That we would know why he loves us. That word friendship of the Lord is the word secret. The inner circle. It suggests intimacy with God. That you would have closeness to God. Yeah, you people, right, would have proximity to God. God being close to you and with you, sitting at the table with you and being inseparable from you and me. Why does God want to rid us of our shame and pretending and lying and our sin and brokenness and the way it troubles us and takes us out of his way? Not so we can be goody two-shoes children walking around. Because he does not want anything it will not let anything separate you from his love for you and the love he wants to give you. And if shame is in the way and dealing with youthful desires is in the way or, or you thinking you are all of that is in the way or trying to rush to judgment or being righteous on your own is in the way or any evil forces are in the way, the psalmist is saying the mission of God for those in distress is designed to bring them into a settled and peaceful and intimate relationship and experience with the Lord. Why? So that you can enjoy him and he can enjoy you. Like any relationship, a lack of trust and shame will tear it apart. But I want you to look at how this psalm ends. Verse 22. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. I read this thing and then I get to verse 22 and I realize... All along, this has been an intercessory prayer. This is not the prayer of one man. This is the prayer of one man for the sake of all God's people. Do you know what cruciform living means? Not that you pray this prayer as yourself. 
but that Christ, our king, our perfect David, has interceded and praying this prayer for you. And he does it better than you. He's taken the shame. He's felt all the disappointment. He's felt all the mistakes. He's felt all the fears. All the years y'all been walking with Jesus, all the mistakes, all the lies, all the cover-ups, all the showing out and showing off. He, on the cross, became acquainted with that. He took it for every single person that would be his. And on the cross, he prayed it for you. He bore it and prayed it. And that's why grace can have its way with you who are his. That's why the cross gets bigger. Because more and more as we grow, we believe we have a high priest, a king who intercedes for us, who is honest for us, who tells and is the truth for us in ways we have not and cannot for ourselves. It's the cross of Christ. Will we fall into that truth that there is an intercessor, a perfect one for you and me? Because he wants to be with you. He wants to love you. The psalmist says, I'm lonely, right? So you're no longer lonely or alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that the cross is a comfort for us. Lord, I do pray for us, you know, those of us, myself included, who've been walking with the Lord a while, all in leadership, look to a father, a husband, some of us mothers, big brothers. We had a Christian person on our job. <laughs> We're a Christian person in the classroom, in the neighborhood. And Lord, we've fallen. And we think the cross has shrunk. Remind us. But Lord, most importantly, help us to trust that you remember. Thank you for being a father. Thank you that we're sons and daughters. Thank you that that's true because of Jesus. I do pray for those who don't know you. They came in here thinking, possibly thinking, Christianity, I can't hang with them folk. They're such athletes of morality and spirituality. Oh, the pastor and Assistant pastor and elders and all these people that are so often raised up and glorified as better as having it together. Lord, I pray for those who may have seen that lie, that false performance, that false setup in so many of our churches. 
celebrity leaders and leaders trying to be celebrity. Help us to look at Jesus. Pray for those who are looking for you that they would find you as a God who is filled with mercy, full of grace, full of love, full with truth, who is the intercessor for the church, the savior of the church. Help them to find Jesus the savior. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.